You're listening to KJ Recaps. Welcome back to KJ Recaps. We're here recapping Westworld season two, episode three, Virtue A Fortuna. I am Jess. I am Kim. Kim. So uh, we got not one but three worlds in this episode of Westworld. So I know, uh, right? Those of us keeping track, yikes! <laughs> there is a lot of worlds to keep track of. I mean, is... this is three of at least six. We know there are six. Right. So I mean, like Welcome the possibilities back. are endless, or also three. <laughs> Exactly. We have unlimited permutations. And I will also say that I, Jess, am recording from overseas, from where we usually record, which is Canada. I am in Scotland for this recording. So I apologize in advance for any uh, audio issues, but hopefully we're okay. The Highlands of Scotland. Uh, Like, how amazing is that? I really hope that one of the six world is Scott's world, and that's just like super amazing to deal with. And oh I'm my like, god! I'm an yes. expert in Scott's world. Scott's world. <laughs> Scott's world. It's gonna be a place, you guys. Oh my just god! Just like Raj world and Samurai Shogun world, whatever. Yeah, amazing. Scott's world. Uh, so as always, we are gonna dive into a really quick recap and then discuss the main points of discussion, of which there are many for this episode. Uh, so if you have not watched the episode, we highly encourage you to do so <laughs> before you <laughs> this podcast. Uh, and as always, we leave your feedback at kjrecaps.com slash feedback because we would love to hear what you think is going on in this episode three. You know, I would say series tradition, episode three is a good, like, mindfuck as to where we're going to be going. Like, I don't know, Kim, like, I feel like there's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers based on what we saw. I feel like either it's really straightforward or it's a (laughs) fucking mind bend and I have no idea going on. It's one of those two extremes. (laughs) Like, there's no in between. Yeah, exactly. So I look forward. Kim has some really excellent um, ideas as to where we're going on this uh, episode. So I'm really excited to discuss that. So why don't we dive into the recap at first and then we'll go into the discussion. So um, we're kind of tackling this by group that we dealt with throughout this episode because it's a bit kind of convoluted to deal with these guys. But um, overall, we have Raj World or the Raj where we have a new female character, question mark, Grace, um, who is introduced in this like kind of British Empire style India. Uh, she is going on a Bengal tiger hunt and the hosts have malfunctioned, kind of like we're used to in the rest of Westworld. Yeah. And she ends up in the water with that Bengal tiger, who is the same one we saw in episode one and ultimately reunites with Ghost Nation at the end of this episode. Um, Dolores and extended company, she long story short, ultimately betrays the Confederados. Um, she defeats the Delos like forces that come after them. And then there's this incident with Teddy where he doesn't really execute the remaining Confederados as asked by Dolores. Peter Abernathy, um, 
reunites with Bernard and Dolores. He is highly malfunctioning. Uh, Bernard is able to download the material that's being kept on him before he's captured. Um, and then an increasingly failing Bernard is dragged away by like creepy zombie Clementines. Zombie Clementines. It's like super creepy. She's and terrifying. Right? Like her face throughout that like Anyway, anytime she's dragging a character by the scruff of their neck, which has actually been in a couple episodes so far this season, it's terrifying. Um, and then Maeve is still trying to direct down her daughter. They do encounter the ghost nation who demand um, size more. They ultimately re- reunite with Armistice and Sylvester and Felix. And they get to the edge of the park, question mark, slash possibly into Shogun world, which is the samurai world. And they have this intense, you know, end meeting with this samurai warrior. Huge cliffhanger. Um, ends the episode. <laughs> I mean. That's right. We don't know how that ends. I don't necessarily think that the charging samurai is going to result in, like, everyone at that campfire dying. Right. <laughs> I mean, we know that Maeve is going to make her way into Shogun World at some point from the trailer. And, um, and I mean. Somehow, even after the massacre at the end of last season, all the main characters are together again and alive and well. So, <laughs> um, so it's totally fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that was a big cliffhanger, and I'm super excited to see what happens. But like, I don't think it's going to be an immediate massacre. Like, you know, you're right. May- maybe, maybe one death. They could get rid of Sylvester, and I wouldn't mind. <laughs> semester i really feel like like most people feel like that way about so <laughs> you brought it on yourself like sylvester reunification with sylvester and felix it's just kind of like oh hey guys like come on in and sylvester happens to be holding this grenade by his I neck may was like felix your Sorry. timing's impeccable let me untie you and sylvester's like i have a grenade in my face <laughs> i hey, mean that was really amazing deserved whatever Okay, let's talk about first this new female character, which was again a cold open Kim, which you mentioned last time was like unique for right. Westworld. Again, we got like a 10 minute plus cold open. Impressive. And I will state off the bat that I loved this cold open um, and this character. So, you know, the grand theory is that she is the man in black's daughter. Let's yes. just like deal with that off the top. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that that is a really strong theory. It may be a tad right. obvious, in my opinion, right. based on yeah. what we know of uh, Westworld and kind of like the big twists that they have <laughs> you know, given us in the sure. past. Then again, a lot of the big twists were discovered on Reddit in advance. So, you know, like Bernard as a host was one that had kind of stretched through the entire season. So like, uh, I do right. think that it is possible that despite the fact that this is a very early theory that came up right away doesn't necessarily mean that that's not the case. I do think that it's hilarious that the way people are describing it, because I'm seeing lots of discussion on Reddit, right? So that people are saying, but we found out in last episode that the man in black's daughter's name is Emily. So people were like, okay, well, her her name is like first name Emily, middle name Grace, last name in black. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, I think That's that amazing. that is like a very strong theory that I am leaning towards um, for sure. But there is another very popular theory, which takes a little bit more sort of like stretch of the imagination. And that is that a lot of people are like the, the dominant one is definitely that this is William's daughter. But a secondary one okay. is that a lot of people think that this could be a young Teresa Cullen who we saw right. in season one, of course, who was running the park. That would then require us to believe that this is not taking place in the same timeline. That, right. Which also would mean that there was a past uprising, that this is not the first time that the hosts have risen up, which I think is, you know, definitely worth a discussion. Uh, what are your thoughts about all that? Well, I think that's a great point. I mean, the Bengal tiger to Bengal tiger equation feels you know like very direct but of course the show could lead us to being in a non-direct slash payoff kind of way so excellent point um i do love the thought that she is the man in black's daughter i love her skepticism about the hosts her intensity about feeling that her male companion is not a host including shooting him in the chest you know which is like a great moment um and just the way she talks about hosts yes like it as the daughter of the man in black who blames her father and possibly her father's infatuation with a robot that's right for the suicide of her mother I mean like it would very much fit that she does not want to take any chances about who she's gonna get down with exactly and so she's like very in the way she talks about them so like I love all of that I love this world like Raj world in like kind of like you know imperialistic Britain on India and like what it's like and that you could like ethically hunt tigers in this kind of interesting place um but kim i want to give a chance like i know we had chatted offline um but about like so at some point we see grace's kind of like notes about what she's looking for she has this notebook she's keeping incredibly close to the vest throughout this episode um and we see a quick screen cap of it during this episode so like what are your thoughts around what we see from her yeah, so I mean, my initial inclination was that um, that she is William's daughter, that she has a very similar obsession with the park that the man in black seems to. She's taking very detailed right. notes. And when we see a flash of her notebook, it seems to be like she is mapping the park. But there's a really distinct symbol that is on her notebook. And later in the episode, yes. when we see Bernard looking at the tablet when he is... Um, uh, pulling the encrypted data off of uh, Peter Abernathy, that same symbol appears when he finally, like, unencrypts it. So, like, what is the connection between those two things? Is it a Delos symbol? Is it, you know, she is simply a Delos employee, like her father is, like her grandfather was, etc. And that is a symbol that just connecting her to Delos or is there something more in terms of connectedness between the mapping that she's doing and the the, the very specific data that Bernard pulled off of Peter Abernathy? Oh, I feel like so Honestly, I hadn't really, I had noticed he had the zoom in on her screen, Grace's screen, and I had seen the zoom in, like, the same thing on Bernard's thing. But honestly, Kim, until you, like, sent me the two screenshots, the two, like, I don't know how to describe them other than kind of, like, two Ds intertwined. They're not quite that shape. They have, like, like, more sides to them. Yeah. With a hexagon in the middle. Right? Yes. I mean, like, it's very map 
or sorry, maze, I should say, esque. And so then, you know, like the thoughts that I had, all of them are so unformed, right? Because it's like you have so many ideas swirling around in your head. But like, to your point, Jess, when we were talking in the last podcast, is there the potential that this weapon is like in a physical location somewhere? Is the map that she is trying to track down? Is there a location that we're looking for? Like, I have distinct ideas of what I think that this data is. And I think it's related to the... Um, my theory from episode two about how the transfer of consciousness and that sort of thing, like I think it's inter- interrelated to that, but it makes me feel like maybe you were on something with it being a physical place somewhere in the park as well as being, you know, sort of an untangible ability, which is kind of where I was leaning towards with the weapon. Right. Like, which is something I had never considered until like you pointed out that these two D's, running kind of like show up and so I have no idea at this point and like it really is not indicated in this episode although at episode three we're still very early you know into season two so like we could see what could happen I guess from that but I think it's very relevant that this character a exists which I think is really you know interesting and of course is not introduced out of nowhere and then b that they bring with them this map that like as you well point out, interacts with Bernard's map slash interacts with potential future maps, you know, like how are we going to see this kind of like play out throughout? So, so I, so a couple, so I did cheat a little bit, which is that I looked up this actress on IMDb and she is billed as being in at least three episodes. Right. Uh, You know, so we are going to see more of Grace. Obviously, there's left uh, kind of a cliffhanger when she encounters Ghost Nation. We have to get the rest of her storyline. So, yeah, she she seems to be someone who is, you know, not just kind of a setting of context for why we found a Bengal tiger in the park. Like there is more to her (laughs) story that we're going to find out. Um, And I loved her. Like, I love this introduction to this other world. And like just what her character was so in the brief glimpse we got of who she was i was like i want to see more of her yes which is an i really liked her as well yeah Yeah. right so okay so let's let's maybe jump into the data that um bernard is pulling off of peter abernathy because there's some interconnectedness here of course with the symbol on both so there is um a pretty predominant reddit theory that the data that's coming off there is actually jim delos's consciousness so there is definitely a uh, a larger sort of group that are of the same, you know, thought as what we talked about last episode about there being some kind of, some kind of ability to transfer consciousness, et cetera. So a person. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't think that that's the case specifically. I'm more inclined to think that it's related to that. And I definitely think that like Jim Dellis is out there somewhere. Um, and that we may encounter again in some way, but I don't necessarily yeah. think that this data is only that. I was thinking that it might be kind of like a list of existing humans who are in fact in host bodies who, you know, like are living as human in right. the larger world or whatever, the ability to control them in some way. Um, and also when when Bernard is able to unencrypt the data, it comes up to say it's a one-time use encryption key 
do you want to use it yes. now? So like, what are your thoughts about Jim Dello's theory? Uh, you know, what it is in general? Yeah, I think that Jim Dello's theory is really interesting. And I, like, I don't think I have, I'm kind of with you where it's like, I'm not sure that's the direction it's going. And I've also seen a lot of theories around the fact that like, you know, the hosts we see floating in the water at the end of the timeline in season or in episode one are potentially like hosts who have been used, used up and like we're reusing their consciousness. I'm more inclined to think that yes, there is consciousness, consciousness implanted and like that that is meaningful in a kind of like separate way. I don't know if I'm really going to be able to like, you know, enunciate what I think this theory is. Clearly it's it's like a massive, you know, um, but it's like, you're able to kind of like move. I don't know. I think that Peter Abernathy was storing something bigger than that. Like, was it all of this DNA that we've talked about in past episodes? Right. Or like one person's consciousness just doesn't seem like it's big enough for like how everyone's reacting because it's just how one person would think. Right. I mean, like the only implications that I could think of if it is, in fact, Jim Delos is that, you know, if Jim Delos is back, then he is the, you know, the head of the company again and can choose to take things in entirely new direction. And it would make sense that if Williams, if this is, in fact, Williams daughter um, who hates her father and blames him, as we know from exposition in season one, yes. for the death of her mother, that maybe she is yeah. actively working to try to get him back, to bring him back and overthrow William as the head of the company or something to that effect. Like, I could see, you and know, And to your point about, like, way. at the start of the... I think, Kim, like, you know, right from from episode one, you were like, I, you know, William becoming a white hat again. And, like the early credits being like black to white to white to black hat concept. And, you know, right. like who is really on whose side at the end of this and who is William really fighting for at the end of this. So like, I think, you know, where he might be starting and where his daughter might run into him. Like that's where I like that it's on the same timeline versus an alternate timeline, because I like that his daughter is coming into this moment I agree. where her dad was a bad guy and her dad is going to become a good guy yes. <laughs> by and going through these moments. I yeah. think that there may be the possibility that if the story between Dolores and um, and William sort of culminates in the way that I think it will, where I'm not entirely sure what it looks like on the Dolores side of things, but for William at least, I think that he is going to get the, the confirmation that there was something real between them, uh, even though at the time he was heartbroken because he thought he thought that he fell in love with an unfeeling robot who was incapable of returning any feelings. And so like, if that culminates into something like that, then to have his daughter witness that, you know, this was actually an incredibly devastating blow, you know, it it will humanize her father in some way. I think that, um, he didn't just have like this unhealthy obsession with a robot. You know, he had a broken heart that he was just incapable of like moving on from or, you know, something to that effect. That he knew this person was displaying conscious thought, you know, 35 years in advance. Yes. Well, he thought that he did. And then. Correct. Yeah. Just like it was this enormous blow to think that he had made it all up, that it was all in his mind. Yeah. 
No, I think that's that's a really excellent point. For sure. Um, um, at the same time, I will just say, like, on the counterpoint of Jim Delos's consciousness being in uh, the the data is that I -hmm. almost feel like there is a chance that Jim Delos is currently like out there somewhere because it seems crazy to me that the CEO of the company, William is in the park and that Delos is simply choosing to just let everyone die unless they get this data out or whatever. I feel like, yeah. And then he died off screen. Like, like he's clearly dying in episode two. But we never see the end of that, and then we jump right forward to this. So, like, what is the implication of that? Like, we're clearly trying to cure his illness because that's clearly where Dulles is going. Because we find out that you know, essentially, by the future iteration, there's no uncurable disease, right? Yeah, um, it, yeah. So where's Jim Delos? We yes, <laughs> we have not we have not finished like the Jim Delos storyline. Yeah. So. Uh, we're going to learn more, whether he's in this data or he's still yeah. out there calling <laughs> the right. shots he's in somewhere. Delos, like saying like, fuck him, well, let everyone die. Like, that's know. right. We're finding that guy again, yeah. for sure. So, so, okay. So are you of the impression yeah. that Bernard was able to actually extract all of the data from Peter Abernathy yes. and either have it in on the tablet or like in himself? Um, I'm thinking that he might have like put it in his own body. Yeah, so like we see him, you know, access the one-time key to download, and then like we don't really see what happens after that, and then like you know Peter Abernathy is taken away, and then Bernard is taken away by like you know crazy Clementine, who oh, we I don't know. really know what's happening with her. <laughs> but like I do feel like you know this is going to play into the Bernard storyline in the future, and yes. like we know there's multiple Bernards coming out at some point in the future, but like. He's got to have that important data on him. I agree. Okay, another right. quick note here is that like so it's interesting because so we have the two that we have the present timeline and the two weeks ago timeline that is happening again in this episode, right? So we right. have the present timeline which is uh with Strand and um uh, Bernard yep. used to be wearing a different suit in present timeline versus two weeks ago in this episode. Great catch. Yeah. Yeah. He has at some point since the last time we saw him in the underground lab with Charlotte uh, and seeing him in the two weeks ago timeline in this episode, he has changed. So has Charlotte. So maybe it is nothing, but maybe it has something to do with these like living nothing in a loop in or multiple Bernards Agreed. or whatever it is. Right. So he's now wearing the same suit in both timelines still not wearing glasses in the present day and although I didn't catch any like close-up glimpses but as some Redditors pointed out he does not have a scar um in present day versus two weeks ago so that was two weeks ago wearing his black suit I'd be interested to see if anybody caught a glimpse now that he is in the same suit does he have the scar or not um, because if he doesn't, then he didn't change suits. He changed bodies. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what's interesting too, is that in present day timeline, when Charlotte sees Bernard, she like greets him in this really weird way. She's like, oh, you made it out. Like I wasn't expecting that or something. Um, yeah. and then she says, Bernard, do you know where Peter Abernathy is? So two weeks ago, she took Peter right. Abernathy from this you know, big standoff at Fort whatever. And now two weeks later, she does not have him and says he keeps slipping away. So somewhere between, she lost Peter Abernathy in that two week period. And, or like, 
is Charlie the host, which I think is like a really worthy debate, right? Like, I, really? like I, I like in my mind, so I've seen a lot of discussion on this, and I just like she is so you know right from the get go. I mean, she's so kind of like. I'm using this term incorrectly, but robotic in her, you know, actions. The more I saw her, and in this episode especially, like, I felt like, like underlined, like, do I trust that this woman, you know, they scan her back of her neck to, like, prove she's truly human. I'm like, in that exact scene, I was like, I don't know. You know, like, I, I did not consider that. And I had not seen that debated, to be honest. I did see some um, discussion about her bizarre... Uh, attitude towards Bernard and the way that she's like is there a problem Bernard in episode one and then like oh Bernard yeah she's like are you okay Bernard yeah so the way that that was explained in the discussions that I was reading is that she has she has lived this multiple times because Bernard is in a loop so she's like there is no time for pleasantries or how are you or whatever it's just like you know give me the fucking information that I require Bernard we have done this five times already or whatever and the, the Bernard yeah. living in a loop continues to kind of, like, gain traction. It's already, I think, a very, like, strong theory. But there are yes. new um, discoveries that I have I have not personally found. I have read about. Um, but so, like, there's the suit stuff we already talked about. Uh, and the two different shots of the Bengal tiger. One where he's wearing yes. a black suit. One where he's wearing just the vest of his current suit. We talked already about the hosts being shot twice. Uh, I don't know if we mentioned already, but he finishes Strand's sentence uh, in episode yeah. one. Can we just talk about like the amazing transition of um, the that character who like is the milk guy? Oh, Rebus. Thank you. Rebus's character who like, this is like amazing, you know, in depth. There's like Rebus never defends a woman, like blah, blah, blah. (laughs) He's defending a woman in the first, you know, episode. And then we get this amazing backstory as his like characteristics have entirely changed. And I love when he's like chasing these women to defend them. Just like, (laughs) let me escort you. And they were like, you are about to rape me. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm running. Two seconds ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. I wonder if Stephen Ong has ever played a virtuous character. He's so good at playing that is a bad like guy. The entire internet discussion that I saw was like, Stephen Ong has never played a character you can trust. <laughs> and so for him to go to like this position where he's like, I can be trusted. Like these women are like, fuck you. Oh my like, God. Hilarious. I love him so much. And also Kim, I texted you this week to say that like, obviously both Kim and I are Canadian and we just realized that Stephen Ong is Canadian too, which like, just like feels like this little tiny intimate group of people, you know, even though there's a lot of us. (laughs) Oh my God. That that is such a Canadian trait. That is like the fact that we're like, he's ours. He's one of us. You know, we're so Canadian. Do you guys know that Stephen Ogg is Canadian? I just want to like point that out right now. And he's in both The Walking Dead and the West and Westworld. So like following will be a list of Canadian stars. (laughs) These are the ones that we can claim. (laughs) following stars are all canadian yeah thank you for paying attention yeah so anyway <laughs> oh my god so i don't funny. know i just like charlotte's i don't know i think it's just like me not trusting this woman and like her human quote-unquote traits like i'm literally doing air quotes right now but like 
I just, this girl has something else behind her. I'm just so impressed and terrified at the same point. Like when she asked for that bulletproof vest tonight, I'm just like, woof. Like, why are we giving her these things? Like, like I feel like something else is going to come out of that. So, I mean, yeah, I I mean, that's an interesting theory that I'm going to watch for now for like evidence of that. I was really just like, you know what? You're a boss bitch, Charlotte. Like, she is. And that maybe just she's a fucking badass. And I'm always. Charlotte and Hale, and I'm so impressed. Like, I wish at my age that I could be what you are to Delos. (laughs) Multi-international company who's, like, taking over the world, and you're, like, 30-something. But, yeah. Okay, so why don't I jump to a different storyline? But, like, okay, okay, talk to me about Teddy and Dolores. So this is, like, an intense episode for those two, you know? I know. Like, yeah. Okay, so I I really think that, you know, it was kind of evident from the beginning, I think, that Teddy is definitely questioning the direction that Dolores is going in. And I think that he's probably really conflicted because we see that Dolores, um, she is, she has the memories of Dolores the rancher's daughter and she has the memories of Wyatt. I mean, that's why she's such a skilled commander because she still has all of Wyatt's memories, you know? So she, um, you know, being able to remember everything, her various storylines, um, could supposedly, we're not entirely sure if it's, if it's true. I have my doubts, but like she is able to sort of like choose her own path and be her own person, but she is definitely leaning towards, a Wyatt narrative um, in terms of like the storyline that she is uh, she she is following. Like I have my doubts about how conscious she truly is. And she seems right. to really be following yeah. Wyatt's storyline. But again, I feel like that's almost too obvious that the fact that um, that she tells the general to call her Wyatt um, I think was sort of a, a bit of a misdirection because ultimately I think she was saying that to command respect because they have heard right. of her. But long story short is that I think that Teddy is seeing more Wyatt than the Dolores rancher's daughter that he fell in love with right now. And it's making him question her decisions. And like, if you remember in season one, when Teddy did not know who Wyatt was, when we didn't even know who Wyatt was and Teddy was describing Wyatt to, I can't remember Angela. Uh, maybe. Anyway, he was yeah, Ford yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But he's like when he was telling the sort of pre-scripted description of Wyatt that he was like, we used to be friends, and then he yeah. went away and came back with these strange ideas in his head and whatever. And it's like exactly. ultimately the whole thing was that like Wyatt came back a completely different person with these crazy ideas that made him sort of go mad. And I think that that is telling in terms of where. Teddy and Dolores's relationship is right now. So like, what do you think it means for Teddy that he did not follow Dolores's orders? Right. Like, I, I think those are all really excellent points, Kim. And like, I think that my, you know, the only direction I kind of go in is like Dolores asks him to take the lives of these leftover confederados. And he obviously doesn't do it. And he refers to that line of them being children, which like when you hear it repeated by Teddy, yeah, it's really impactful. Like in the sense that he is executing children. Like that's yes. what he comes off as. Children in and, that they are like I feel like the description of them in ch- as children is very 
sort of like significant too. They are children because they have just woken up. They are brand new, new sentient beings. They have been quote unquote alive for a very short amount of time and have not had the opportunity to grow and stretch and become anything other than the narrative that they were programmed to be. Like, I, I think that there is a lot to be said about, um, you know, there were a number of things that was kind of circling around like their nature and the ability to break out of their scripted narrative, even though they now have the choice to do so. And I think that that circles back to the conversation with El Lazo in last episode about the elephant right. who, who pulls on the stake as a child and is unable to pull the stake from the ground. And then despite the fact that they are now adult, an adult sized elephant that could break a tree trunk, they don't pull. Right. And like, so I, I think that, you know, there's, there is like the reference to a host's nature that we found twice in last episode both with like the man in black telling Lawrence it's in your nature to help me. And when uh, Dolores is speaking of the confederados that like, it's just in their nature to be this way or whatever, like, and then in this episode we have Sizemore who can sort of quote back what um, Hector is going to say, despite the fact that Hector has gone in a path that is different than his programming in having a relationship with Maeve instead of his, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, totally. They have this potential to to break themselves out of these characters that are written for them, but they haven't. Yeah, they haven't had a chance to do it yet. Um, but so yeah. So okay, so if you think that Dolores might possibly still just be stuck in a narrative, you know, like which we've talked about, and that may maybe the only true cognizant, you know, host. Um, does Teddy's break away, you know, in terms of not following her direction indicate some sort of consciousness or do you think that that's just like, yeah, I think that this is growth. I think we are seeing Teddy's growth, his ability to choose and that he is choosing to think for himself instead of just following Dolores blindly by allowing them to, to, you know, to leave without executing them. And I I mean, like, what do you think this was a test? Was Dolores testing him when she... I think for sure. Like, yeah. the fact that she's watching, you know, like, and off to the side, it doesn't correct it. Like, that totally makes me think it's a test. And then it's like, there's going to be an inherent comeback for Teddy as to like what he decided to do there. Yeah. Um, but how could he not? Like, I'm, I'm not anti-Teddy here other than finding him dead at the end of the season, perhaps, which I think. I do not believe that that is true death for Teddy at the end. And I think that's like, not like dead, dead. Yeah. Right. I think that there's the potential that Teddy could be the one who like is, is like, he is the one who ultimately breaks, breaks Dolores free of this narrative that she is, you know, she's under. She, we have heard multiple times now that like, yeah. Yes. Like Teddy is her own, her one true thing now, especially now with Peter Abernathy having been sullied, as she said, which I thought was an interesting term to use. But like, right. you know, so maybe Teddy's ability to like not follow her down this path is something that will sort of shake her out of it. But I'm really kind of questioning what I think about the Dolores storyline because um, until this episode, uh, 
I was thinking, yeah, she's like, I think maybe she's not entirely sentient, you know, and that was like sort of like a fun theory that felt very possible. And now I feel like in this episode, it was almost so obvious that she was in full Wyatt narrative that it made me question that maybe the whole theory is too obvious now. I don't know. It's like (laughs) layers upon layers. (laughs) No, exactly. I have nothing to add to that except for the fact that, like, exactly. And the Nolans would totally try to fuck us like that. And I agree. Like, it was like we were geniuses beforehand. Now it's like, Wyatt, Wyatt, Wyatt. And, like, how could that go back to, like, screw us over? And, yeah, excellent point, Kim, is all I have to, like, end that discussion with. Because I have no idea um, as to where they're going to take us. And, of course, again episode three like i just like there's so many more places we're gonna go with this season so i i have no idea i know um (laughs) so just maybe to finish off this this discussion so can i ask you about ghost nation because ghost nation has played a huge part in these like in the entire first season and the second season but like kind of always in the background um, and I, you know, this is not my own theory and maybe Kim, you arrived there independently, but I did not. And now I'm like super into this idea that the ghost nation has been programmed or overridden to protect the humans, which the interactions we've seen with ghost nations make sense because Stubbs clearly got away from them. If we believe, you know, kind of the, you know, end of the season, um, interaction with Stubbs, they really want size more. Did Elsie possibly override them to make them protect humans? The interaction with uh, the man in black's daughter, Grace, at the end of this episode. So I guess, Kim, like, I don't really have a specific question, but like, what are your thoughts around Ghost Nation? And are you following these kind of like threads in terms of like them protecting humans? I think that that is a really interesting theory. And I don't agree with it. (laughs) Okay, interesting. I'm really... Yeah, so like I really kind of think that that is a very cool theory. And if it goes that way, I won't be at all disappointed. Like I think it's really interesting. It answers a lot of questions. Um, So I like I am on board with that theory. But the thing that makes me question it is just that because we know from season one when Maeve was really trying to grasp the concept of her own you know, um, self-awareness and the fact that she was Uh living in a loop, et cetera. The one of the uh, things that she did was she sought out Hector to take her to, or to give her information on this native folklore of the, of shades or the people who walk between worlds. So the, you know, the native American hosts, even before Maeve, even before Dolores seemed to have some kind of awareness of humans. And it was like worked into their folklore in a way that almost as if there was a level of uh, reverence. Um, So my thought is that through, you know, through maybe multiple exposures or like, you know, um, shared stories passed down through over time or whatever, that the native hosts have already achieved a level of sentience that makes them interesting. Yeah. It, like, so they were not able to be controlled by stubs in season one. Yep. They were not able to be controlled by Maeve in this episode. Um, and so Elsie did disappear before Stubbs did. So 
um, maybe there was that programming that would have prevented Stubbs from being able to command them, and that explains it in season one. But I'm almost wondering if there is something very different about these hosts uh, in in particular. And um, if there is a level of reverence in their folklore for humans or these, what, you know, I think they call them like shades or whatever, then maybe that explains why there's a level of protection or something to that effect. I think that's a really interesting idea. I'm like, I I don't think I've really seen that like discussed. Um, I like the idea that like, they're definitely different in some way, right? I mean, we're seeing them show up in really crucial moments in the story without kind of explanation at this point. And so we have to get that explanation. Like, I mean, these guys, like, the show can't just use them as token, you know, Aboriginal perspectives. <laughs> like, we have to at right. some point. I mean, that is very much the way, way the hosts are written, is a very stereotypical right. Wild West you know, cowboys and Indians type of stereotypes, right? And so I think that's why I love this idea of like the fact that the hosts may have been overwritten to protect humans in like no matter what way possible. And so that's why they're asking for size more. That's where they're asking, you know, they're going after these characters. And while they seem intimidating, you know, we haven't seen enough. Like, yeah, I think the the show I think is definitely um, supposed to have us believe right that they were after Sizemore right. they wanted to take Sizemore because of malevolence or whatever and the same with Grace Agreed. but Stubbs is alive and well and like what happened there and then we know that there's going to be a big storyline so I can't remember the name of the host uh or the name of the actor I'm so sorry uh but so in last episode when we had Angela and uh, a native host who went to go and t- uh, meet Logan. Right. Yeah. Sorry. It, sorry. Um, I don't either. Yeah. Yes. I, I cannot, unfortunately, remember the name of his character. Uh, we have not seen much of him yet, but we're going to see a lot more of him, I think. So that is actually the actor, if I'm not mistaken, who sustained an injury in filming that resulted in the sh- the, the delay the show being put on hiatus for a time because they could not proceed without him. And so um, I, I think that there's going to be a big, you know, uh, component of ghost nation or, you know, the yes. new American hosts in, in general. And so there is something Which was there. a huge issue. Yeah, that's right. We talked about it, I think in recording last season where it was like, this was a big deal. Um, yeah. And so I, I also read the same thing where it was like, it was not who you thought it was, <laughs> like basically, right? Where it's like, you think it's Ed Harris or Anthony Hopkins. When you're <laughs> like, hearing of the injury not... that shuts down the production, yeah. <laughs> right, and you're like, you're like, these are the people who like are delaying footage, but it's like, it's not necessarily those people, so yeah. Right, but here's another question. Have we ever seen uh, the scalp of a host with the maze on it that was not Native American? Yeah, I would have to go back. Like, who I can't did remember. take it off? In the first season, he take like Men in Black takes it like the scalp off of someone early on. Well, the very first scalp, the, the, the very first one that he took was the Native American poker player that he I can't remember his name that he it was like out on the mountaintop right by a cliff, like Sweetie or something. Like it was like uh, yeah yeah yeah. So he was definitely yeah. Native American, and then we saw it uh, again when. Like the in episode one in this season, um, yeah, they when the off. Ghost Nation 
You're right. Man had was scalped and like to get the pearl out of his head and whatever. Um anyway, I don't know if there's some kind of significance there. No, that's a great point. Like now that you say that cuz like it was like I can totally picture the guy you're talking about who he like tracks down off the edge. And he made a specific point of saying that like, you know, he carried great wisdom and so- or something like that. Right. I, 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 you know what? It's like, it's the downfall of sort of just like coming up with like chatting it out. I don't have the Ideas answer. The I wish I, I had it at yeah. my fingertips to be able to like uh, confirm. But no, for next episode, maybe it's a great we'll have point. more. Yeah. Okay, so like I would just say, if listeners have ideas about where the maze has been shown before, um, like we've seen we'll the maze elsewhere and stuff, like we saw it carved into a table yes, in Lawrence's hometown and stuff. But like, right. is there anybody else who had it underneath their scalp? Exactly, um, like where it's come off, and of course we saw that again in this season in episode one. So yeah, um, that's a really sure. really great point, but, and clearly Ghost Nation is playing a role here right like it's like yes they are very important in how this is going to play out we keep seeing Mm -hmm. these like really intricate unique ways and i do think like them greeting this new character at the end of this episode obviously is a cliffhanger for a reason so i'm excited to see kind of where we're going with that i mean yeah so i like mave of course is terrified of uh ghost nation because right these these are the men who killed that's um, right outside of man in black yes yes, exactly outside of man in black but they killed her and her daughter in past storylines right and they have you know in terms of their interaction with the hosts and the storylines that they have been playing out in the park is a very aggressive sort of stereotypical um you know storyline that is one to be afraid of if you're a host in that in that world but like there must be more to it than that Um, So, yeah, that'll be really interesting. Um, Okay, so another thing that I wanted to point out, I think that this um, this may have uh, Bernard living in a loop implications, but there was a Redditor named Justine. Anyway, is on Reddit. I actually got it from a Harper's Bazaar article where it shows that the massacre in Sweetwater is like when the man in black woke up you could see the bodies surrounding him. And then when Bernard and Strand go there two weeks later, it's like an entirely different, the bodies are all different. There's like a woman in a red dress. There's some of the bodies are missing and whatever. So Bernard in a loop question mark. And then my other question, which is Sweetwater related is what's Dolores going to get there? (laughs) Great question. Like, she's like, we have to go back. There's something I need to get there. Like, I wish I had a great theory, Kim. Do you have a great theory? I do not. I have nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> I, I really am stuck. Like, I'm like, Peter Apodathy is kind of, like, off on his own. Like, Sweetwater, we know, as the place where we spent most of season one. Like, I, I just, when I thought about that, I was like, I don't know... Okay, this is a real long shot that is coming to me right in this moment. But like, could it be the picture? Could it be the picture that Peter like the, that set Peter Abernathy right. off in the beginning? Found like maybe. I mean, yes. Um, or could it be like you know she's going? I can't even think of where. 
I, this would be the the like I'm is she going to the secret interrogation sad. room or like you know lab mm-hmm. that she would have conversations with Bernard in? Is there something right, there? or is there somewhere else in Sweetwater that maybe she spent time that we didn't see before? You know what I mean? Like like Dolores has had such a lengthy history in the park that we only really kind of have insight into you know like when you really think about it um it feels like we know her so intimately but we really don't uh right. is there a possibility that she is going to introduce something new to us but yes this introduction of Sweetwater again first of all i'm excited because like i hope we get the whole like Sweetwater theme again like i just like i want to see yes. the whole thing oh play my out. god like seriously i know that it, we we don't generally talk about it too too much because there's so much to talk about already but like of course everyone is super familiar with like the presence of music and the like the cool way that the they music. use music but like this so they do all of the Jack covers White. i know oh. uh the covers that they do are really cool of course but You're i have right. to say that my favorite is like to hear the theme song that we normally hear in the riding in of the train in season one um the like very western sweetwater music you know that yeah. was changed for raj world to be this very sort of like they were like uh sitars playing it was like the same theme but like very very different in vibe that suited raj world instead of west world it was like i just love the way they play with music in this show no, I mean, Raymond Diwali is, um, if I'm pronouncing his name right correctly, is also the guy who does the music for Game of Thrones, of course, and is an excellent composer in his own right, and also takes music from a variety of sources. And so I think the intro in Raj World is the White Stripes, um, if I'm correct. but like Yeah, so they definitely did, like, they definitely did a White Stripes covered, but they, yes, they also do the very traditional, like, exactly (laughs) like that's exactly so like i have them on you know spotify and that's that is what's called sweetwater theme and then when you know at the end of this episode we end up quote unquote in the end of you know westworld question mark in this like uh prospector narrative and we potentially end up in shogun world I yes. think we probably do end up in Shogun World. And a lot of people pointed to the music cues as a great indicator of the fact that we've actually moved parks. Right. Um, and so, and the fact that Maeve reacts to the snow and like, there's like some really cool, like interactions Very that cool. show that like, we're not just in Westworld, but like, we're clearly in Shogun World. And when I went back and watched it, like the, the music is a great indicator that we have switched parks. Yes, um, completely. And you wouldn't know it otherwise. Like, that's such a great moment. And then suddenly you're with a samurai warrior. <laughs> uh, I know. Okay, I have yeah. something I, I just want to point out on that as well is that, so the Bengal tiger we see um, goes yes. after Grace and crosses this sort of threshold at the edge of the park. And it was right. like, it was like this um, red like laser yes. that I believe, yep. I personally believe is something that did not just mark the out, the outline and trigger an alarm of some kind that yep. like before the park went to shit that would have prevented the the tiger or any of the hosts from crossing the barrier in which case my question is the thing that Maeve created a whole new body for herself for to make sure she didn't have it in her that would cause her to like explode if she left the park 
I don't think that's going to work anymore. She's got a new body, right. so she doesn't have to worry about that's it. But I feel point. like everybody could fucking leave the island if they wanted to right now. And there isn't anything that's going to be working to stop them. And this goes back to the question of like how some characters know that they've broken free of their narrative loops and some characters have no idea. You know what I mean? Like it's like the continuation and how Dolores is fitting her storyline into characters loops and then there yes. are these entirely independent loops. I I think that's so fascinating and totally agree. And the fact that like even um, geographically where that that area backs onto, I've seen a lot of you know, discussions about, I thought that was really interesting. Like it backs onto a ravine where they kind of like break over that barrier and does everybody back onto the same ravine? If it is a water-based ravine, does that have impacts as to the flooding that we saw in episode one? Like there are some interesting implications there. So uh, as always, like more questions than answers in this episode. A lot more questions than answers. Shocking. But fun to discuss. Okay. And like the very last thing that I'm going to point out, and I'm not going to go into details because I don't fully understand it myself, but okay. The significance of the title Virtue A Fortuna, I looked at that and it apparently apparently comes from Machiavelli's The Prince. Um, So ultimately the book is essentially about, you know, winning at all costs, like, um, it's this, you know, Machiavellianism as an ideology. And that's so like a big um, yep. like component of the book is that he discusses the importance of the concepts of virtue and fortuna. Yes. And um, virtue, virtue or whatever. are there, So those are observations, decisions, and actions that come out of necessity and lead to breakthroughs in the world ruled by fortuna, which is usually translated as fortune or destiny beyond human control. So, I mean, like, I feel like it's very fitting in terms of, like, uh, Dolores's entire path. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Kim, and, like, well done for looking it up. And I think if you, like, compare Machiavelli to anyone in these character loops, it's uh, Dolores. Dolores. Because you're right. Like, <laughs> above She's anything... definitely winning at all costs. She is sacrificing right. all of the confederados. Agreed. She is uh, sacrificing oh, her relationship with Teddy. Ruthless. Teddy. All in the interest of dominating this world. Yes. For like not shooting people. Just her, the way she's maintaining those like faceless troops of hers, which I'm sure are going to come back to play in the yes. storyline at some point. Like I just like the whole thing. So I think that's a really great point. Yeah. Like Bernard, <laughs> Bernard was saying that like Peter Abernathy had this cobbled together sort of like flimsy narrative on top of this giant um you know data like encryption thing that's in his body right well i feel like if you want to (laughs) look at a host that doesn't have any narrative it's clementine (laughs) she's like i feel like she has no character she is just like purely clementine yeah, her like yeah. current programming is good. like listen to Wyatt and otherwise he's a <laughs> fucking zombie. <laughs> zombie hosts coming well, to a park near you. I, we can all look forward to it. I mean, she looks amazing, so that's what's important. <laughs> that and, is true. Yeah. Um, no, I mean like I 
this episode is one of those episodes where it really positions up so many things to like come and of course introduces three parks so that's a lot in an hour i know i could talk about it forever right but i won't Um, you know what guys don't worry i won't yeah in honor of you guys we're gonna stop discussing it and uh we are gonna wait for episode four which is probably gonna not answer anything and just pose more questions but like we're gonna be here to discuss discuss that we'll go through it together exactly so yeah in the meantime if you have any thoughts kdrgf.com slash feedback and kim thank you so much for discussing uh this excellent episode uh and doing all that research you know to find out what's thank happening on the you weekend. for calling in at one o'clock in the morning from scotland that's right you guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's what, um, this is what it's important yeah that's right that's right. So I'm looking forward to episode four and Kimmy, I will chat with you then. And thank you guys for listening in. Thanks guys. Thanks Jess. Bye. Bye.